Welcome to the podcast of Selmore Baptist Church in Ozark, Missouri. To learn more about our church, please visit selmorebaptist.com. And now, here's the sermon. Amen. Wasn't that great? Thank you, Cliff and Ann. Appreciate that. And thank you to the Sinverse for leading us in worship. And the praise team, the whole praise team this morning. Just wonderful. Really sets the stage for this passage that we're studying today. Our pastor has been preaching through the book of Hebrews, and we've come to verse 20, and I'm going to continue with that today. So if you would please stand as we read this passage, I'd appreciate it. If you're following in the Pew Bible, it's on page 1378. Hebrews 7, beginning in verse 20. And inasmuch as he was not made priest without an oath, for they have become priests without an oath, but he an oath by him who said to him, The Lord is sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. By so much more, Jesus has become a surety of a better covenant. Also, there were many priests, because these were prevented by death from continuing. But he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For such a high priest was fitting for us, who is holy, blameless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens, who does not need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the people's, For this he did once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints as high priest men who have weaknesses. But the word of the oath which came after the law appoints the Son who has been perfected forever. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And pray you just guide us through this today as we bring this message, Lord, and that it will speak to our hearts, that our confidence in you will grow, Lord, our love for you will grow, our worship of you will improve. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, Hebrews was written to, most likely to Jewish people who were worshiping as Christians. They were worshiping in in churches, and they were truly serving the Lord, but apparently there were some influences coming their way, and we read that in other books of the Bible as well, other letters that Paul has written about how the Judaizers were trying to get people to go back and become Jews, do all the things that the Jews did, follow the old Jewish law, the, Jew, the laws of food, the laws of uh, all, all kinds of things, maybe even getting back to the sacrifices if they could. Of course, they couldn't do that because in AD 70, which is probably shortly after this is going to be written, that uh, the Romans destroyed Jerusalem and destroyed the temple, and that was the end of all the sacrificial offerings that were being made. And, of course, Christ was the final offering on that, as we'll talk about that a little bit more. Now, in the, this passage we're studying, it deals with the priesthood. And the priests were descended from Aaron, Moses' brother. They were descended from him. The Levites all came from, from uh, the tribe of Levi, but the priests specifically came as descendants of Aaron. But they were looking perhaps at going back to that, or how should they look upon that? 
And so maybe they were tempted to fall back into the old covenant, maybe under the old laws and all those regulations, even thinking that you had to do those before you could become a Christian, that you had to become a good Jew before you could become a Christian. Of course, Christ and Paul mostly basically said that that wasn't necessary. And so they, the book of Hebrews then is telling them to put away the old ways, put away the old and turn to Christ, entirely to Christ, and not to neglect such a great salvation. What a warning that is. Don't neglect the great salvation that Christ is offering, that he has made possible for them. Christ, of course, is God in the flesh, creator and upholder of the universe, and the book of Hebrews makes it clear that he's superior. We use the other word better, but he's, also, he's superior, he's supreme over the angels, superior to Moses, who could not even deliver the Israelites into the promised land, into the rest. Moses didn't get to go in there, but Jesus is a better rest. He's a better Sabbath. He's superior to Moses. He is superior to Abraham. He's superior to the priest and to the priesthood of the Aaronic priesthood, that's the descendants of Aaron. He has a superior covenant, a superior law. He's a superior high priest. This is the Christ that we worship, the Christ that we serve. And we're going to look at different ways here that out of this passage that Christ is superior. In verse 19, it says the, that the law made nothing perfect. Now, sometimes we think, well, they were under the law and maybe people got saved under the law and through those sacrifices. No. You read the scripture, it says in chapter 10, verse 4 of Hebrews, it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Their sins were never forgiven because of all the sacrifices that they did. All of those were a shadow, a picture of what Christ was going to do. So the Old Testament, they had to look forward in faith to what God was going to do to forgive their sins, and that is through Jesus Christ, which the prophets, of course, spoke of. It was even spoken of back in Genesis chapter 3, the first evangelical message there, that Christ would come and he would conquer Satan. And so we look towards that as well. So all of that ceremonial law, all the sacrifices, all the food laws, the tabernacle, the temple, all of those were just a shadow of things to come. And it was all fulfilled in Jesus Christ. They were all pointing toward Christ. And it's all fulfilled in Him. Praise God. Now the moral law still stands. The moral law of the Old Testament still stands. It's not all the law that we throw out. It's just all that ritual and all, all of the, the sacrifice, all of the food laws, all of that that's thrown out because Christ has come. But the moral laws, like the Ten Commandments, other moral laws that are given through the Old Testament, those still stand. So all of that isn't thrown out. Christ didn't do away with that. He said he came to fulfill the law. But it's that moral law, those Ten Commandments and the others, that, that he came to fulfill. Well, Jesus summarized the law in Matthew 22, verse 37 through 40, when he basically said, love God and love who? Your neighbor. Love God and love your neighbor. Well, he didn't mention the ceremonial law. He didn't say a thing about that. Love God, love your neighbor. That summarizes the law, the moral law of the Old Testament. 
So as we look at this today, beginning in verse 20, the writer of Hebrews continues to express the superiority of Christ as high priest. And he's going to give us three ways that Christ is superior. The, the first will be Christ's superior priesthood, Christ's superior covenant, and then Christ himself as the superior high priest. So let's look, first of all, at verse 20 and 21. And inasmuch as he, Christ, was not made priest without an oath, for they have become priests without an oath. That's the Aaronic priest. They became priests without an oath. But he, with an oath, by him who said, The Lord is sworn and will not relent, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. So Christ was made priest by an order of God, God the Father, expressing that to the Israelites. He was, and you know, we don't find God taking, giving oaths very often. He doesn't need to. He is God. When he speaks, it's truth. But for our benefit, for our benefit, for the lesson that he's given us, he gave an oath that Jesus Christ is a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek, he said. The Old Testament priests, they got their position by lineage because they descended from Aaron. They didn't have to do a thing. They didn't have to have any righteousness of their own. Now, some of them got penalized because they acted out of God's will. You might remember Aaron's two sons that burned incense when they shouldn't have. And uh, God didn't like that. He said, nope, you're going to follow my laws exactly. And so they died. But these guys got to be priests just because they descended from Aaron. Now, that doesn't sound like anybody's really met any qualifications, does it? They're just doing it because God has ordered it to be that way. And so they, they had no other requirement. But Christ, it says, is a priest forever. A priest that will last forever. He is superior to the angels, to Moses, to Abraham. But it says here that he is like Melchizedek. He's according to the order of Melchizedek. Now, I find it strange that all through the book of Hebrews, he's saying Christ is superior, but all of a sudden, he says, well, he's like Melchizedek. Now, you remember who Melchizedek was? We've, verses have covered that. Melchizedek is the high priest of Salem who came out and met Abraham after he came back from the victory, and he blessed Abraham, and he shared the bread and the, the wine with Abraham. And Abraham tithed to him. And since the Aaron hadn't been born yet, all those priests were still hiding in the lineage of Abraham. So they, they weren't even there. But in a sense, the scripture saying, all of them were tithing to Melchizedek and giving honor to him. Well, this makes me think that if he's like Melchizedek, how could Christ be like a man like a human so personally there are many scholars that think that and I'm not putting myself in that in that level of, of uh, biblical knowledge but many of them would think well Melchizedek was just a man that came and uh, was really a priest then but I think well I think he's Christ in a pre-incarnate state because all of this He's supreme. Christ is supreme to everything else. But then he says he's like Melchizedek. And there's other reasons for that. Along with the, the covenant that he has. The laws that he was under. All of that. But Melchizedek was called. His name means the king of righteousness. 
And he had the title king of Salem or king of Shalom, which would be king of peace. In Isaiah chapter 9, Jesus is in prophecy is called the everlasting father, the prince of peace. No beginning, no end, like Melchizedek. And as I said, that's the main reason that I think Melchizedek was uh, an appearance of Christ in a pre-incarnate state, just like the other appearances of the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament. All right. Well, it's all right if you want to breathe, believe that he's a man. There's lots of uh, scholars that believe that. There's lots of them that believe that Christ, that Melchizedek was Christ in a pre-incarnate appearance. So, well, so Christ has a superior priesthood then because he was made priest without an oath, with an oath, and the Aaronic priest had no oath. They were just of the lineage of Aaron. All right, secondly, let's look at verse 22 to 24 when we see Christ's superior covenant. We're going to have two reasons for that. By so much more, Jesus has become a surety of a better covenant. Also, there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing. But he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. So the two reasons. First of all, the Old Testament priests died. And so there were many Old Testament priests. And they couldn't guarantee the covenant. How could a person look forward to the coming of a new priest and say, well, is he going to uphold the Old Covenant? Or is he bringing a new one with him? Is the covenant comes with the priest? Is, is he going to be faithful to the Old Covenant? How is he going to act? Is he really going to be interceding for us? Uh, as God would have him to do that. So you could see there, there would be little guarantee by those priests who were going to die and be replaced by probably by their son. Secondly, Jesus is a living priest forever. Forever he's going to be your priest. You look for someone who's going to intercede for you. Be nice to know that you're going to be there for a long time, wouldn't it? And that you could trust him. That you're going to confirm one covenant and not be changing things all the time. No, that's Jesus Christ. He is ever interceding for us because he, he is the living priest. The perpetual priest that ensures that his new covenant will last. That old covenant, the Old Testament, was temporary. Just a shadow. It passed away with the sacrifice of Christ. The new covenant is eternal because Christ is eternally reigning as the high priest. Christ is, has, holds three offices. He was prophet, he's priest, and he's king. And so we're focusing here upon his priesthood. Well, let's look at the, the third reason that we have as uh, Jesus is, is superior to the priesthood. Because Jesus is a superior high priest. And we're going to find four reasons for that as we look at the scripture. You had a lot of lists here, a lot of outlines for you. He's, and you're staying with us very nicely there. Thank you. Jesus is a, a superior high priest. First of all, let's look at verse 25. He is able to save to the uttermost. So he's superior because he saves completely. And is, he has the power to save. The power to save. There's going to be four reasons here. He saves to the uttermost. Completely and forever. Now the Old Testament priest couldn't save anyone. Oh, they went through the functions, they did, made the sacrifices, 
But that didn't save anybody. Folks still had to have their faith in God if they were going to experience eternal life, such as Abraham, even before the law, and, and believers after that who were after the law. But the law never saved them. The sacrifices never saved them. But it says here in this verse 25, he saves to the uttermost, completely and forever. He justifies us. He justifies us, makes us right, gives us his righteousness before God. He sanctifies us. He changes us, grows us into Christ's likeness as we follow him and submit to the Holy Spirit. And then finally, he glorifies us. So we have justification, sanctification, and glorification. And we get to be with the Heavenly Father in that state. No more sin, no more influence of Satan, no more pain. We will be glorified and be with Christ. Christ does all of that for us. In Philippians 1, verse 6, it says, Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it, until the day of Jesus Christ. Boy, what a lot of doctrine, a lot of teaching in that one little verse about Christ beginning a work in us, working through us to complete that work, bring us to glorification, that's completion of the work of sanctification, and then Christ is coming back. Christ is coming. If we happen to still be here, we get to go with Him. Praise God. If we get to go early, praise God. <laughs> We were just talking with Howard earlier and saying, yeah, they, they write songs. They say, well, Lord, I want, want to go to heaven, but I don't want to die. <laughs> well, God has put into us, as Howard was telling, saying to me, he's put into us that natural desire for self-preservation. That's why we protect ourselves. That's why we try to keep from getting sick. That's why we watch out for injury. and all. We, we try to stay alive. That's the way God wants us to. Why? Because he's not done with us yet. He's still using us and wants us to glorify Him through all the trials that we go through. So it is Christ then who completes our glorification, taking us to heaven. Philippians 3.20, our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables Him to bring everything under His control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like His glorious body. Isn't that wonderful? Praise the Lord. And this is that blessed hope that Christians rely on. The blessed hope. Or the second reason Jesus saves, saves completely is that because of the people that he saves. Verse 25. He saves those who come to God. Those who draw near to God. Those are the ones that are going to get saved. Those who hear the message and respond to it and believe in Jesus Christ, believe that He's God in the flesh, believe that He lived a sinless life, believe that He died on the cross, believe that He rose again on the third day, and that He's reigning in heaven today. And if we put our trust in Him, He will save us completely to the uttermost. That's what we believe is. That's who those who come to God trust in Him. Now you might think over time, well, sometimes we think, well, maybe God isn't very near to us. You know, he feels a little distant from us sometimes. But God hadn't moved. He's still there, and He's still calling us. to. We'll come back to that thought in a little, little bit. But so those are the ones who He saves, those who come near to Him. 
Romans 5.10 says, If, when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life, his eternal life? Praise God. Well, the third reason under Jesus saves completely, the third point there is that through, he saves through his person. Verse 25 says, through him. And we remember that in John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It, salvation is only through Jesus Christ. There's, there's not a lot of roads to get to Christ. Some people like to say, well, you can, some can go around this way and some around that way. But you might do all that, but you better come back to Christ. Because it's only through Christ and faith in Him that we're going to be saved. Jesus is God in the flesh. He's the creator of all. He lived that sinless life and died on the cross, as we said. Well, He paid that debt of sin that we couldn't pay. He paid that on the cross. Made it possible for us to be forgiven. And He lives today. Reigning in from heaven. Well, why don't people want to do this? It just seems so clear. Once you've made that profession of faith, once you put your trust in Christ and have the Holy Spirit bearing witness to your, your spirit, it just seems so logical. Why won't people do this? Well, scriptures say they love the darkness rather than light. They love sin. And they don't want anyone to tell them what to do. They want to, maybe some think they can earn it. They want to work their way to it. You can't do that. It's not by works. You'll never be good enough to be accepted by God. Except by receiving Jesus Christ and putting on His righteousness. You have no righteousness of your own. It's not through religion. It's not through following being in church every Sunday. That's not going to save you. You're going to hear the message, we hope. But that won't save you in and of itself. No, it's faith in Christ. As we said, there aren't multiple paths to God. There are not many ways to get there. It's only through Christ. Put your trust in Him. And the fourth reason under Jesus saves com completely, verse 25, He always lives to make intercession for them. You know, a priest would intercede for the people by making the sacrifices. And presumably he'd be praying for them as he laid hands on the animals and uh, they confessed their sins in that way. Presumably, that would be happening. But we know that we need a high priest who's dependable. We need one who was there all the time. Because we are weak. We're human. We still have that sinful nature. And we need a high priest that's going before the Father for us. And saying, no, this is one of my children. Look at his righteousness. He's got on the white robe of faith in Jesus Christ. Over in Revelation... Chapter 12, And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of His Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren, who accused them before our God day and night, has been cast down. And they overcame Him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to, de to the death. Satan has been defeated, been defeated by Jesus Christ, his death on the cross and his resurrection. But he's still there accusing us, saying, oh, no, no, that guy, you know how old Bill is. He, Lord, look at all of his sins, and, and you shouldn't let him into your kingdom. And Jesus is saying, no, he put his trust in me. 
He is always interceding for us. And when it comes time for us to need strength to overcome sin, it's Christ that's interceding. It's Christ that's lifting us up. Back in Romans 8, there's a couple of passages there. It says the Holy Spirit's always interceding for us with groans that words cannot express. Aren't you glad that God knows what to pray to himself when we don't know what to pray? He is always looking out for us, watching over us. He's always interceding. In, Roman, in, in uh, John 10, 27, he says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. You are secure in Christ once you put your trust in Him. If you truly believed in Him, He keeps those who come near to Him. Again, in Romans 8, speaking of intercession, about verse 31, it says, If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also, along with Him, graciously give us all things? Who's going to bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus who died more than that, who was raised to, the life, to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? It is no, that's not going to happen. In all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, the present, the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation shall be able to separate us from the love of Jesus Christ. Isn't that a wonderful statement? Man, we ought to go back and read that every day. Just to be reminded of who Christ is and what He is doing for us. Well, we also see as Jesus, Jesus is superior high priest, we had Jesus saves completely in those four reasons. Now we have Jesus was set apart from sinners. Verse 26. For such a high priest was fitting for us, who is holy, blameless, undefiled, separate from sinners. And he has become higher than the heavens, who does not need daily as those other high priests, offer sacrifices for it first for his own sins. Christ is holy. That word itself means set apart. He is blameless. He's sinless. He is pure. And he's exalted. He's even transcendent, we might say. He's saying he's higher than the heavens. Now, where are those other high priests? Well, they're in a grave somewhere out there in the desert in Israel. Or maybe in Arabia somewhere. But they didn't live. They have died. Aaronic priests were men. They had a sinful nature. As all men have. We even look, remember the, the sons of Eli. And the stories about them. And how the sins they were committing at the tabernacle. And before making sacrifices for the Israelites. The priest had to make sacrifices for their own sins. Christ doesn't need to do that. He lived a sinless life. He is perfect. He never sinned. He has no need to sacrifice for himself. And the other priest had to do that every day. 
Sacrifices for themselves, sacrifices for the people. But Jesus, it says in verse 27, sacrificed himself once for all. And then for the people's, he sacrificed for the people's sin. For this he did once for all when he offered up himself. The Old Testament priest did that every day, all day long. Just a picture, a shadow of what Christ would do, his final sacrifice, once for all. Now Hebrews emphasizes this idea of once for all at least four times in the scripture, maybe five. You might find more if you look closely in there, read through that this afternoon. You might find more than five once for alls. But Christ did it once for all. There's nothing else that's required. Once for all means it's finished. It's done. You don't have to have Christ plus a whole bunch of works. No, good works are going to come because you have put your trust in Christ and you're going to do what He wants you to do. But it's not Christ plus something. Not Christ plus anything. It is faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. He's done it all. We don't need to do anything except believe. Put our trust in Him. That word believe means to trust, to have faith, to follow Him, to obey Him. And then verse 28. We see that Jesus is a perfect priest forever. For the law appoints as high priests men who have weaknesses, but the word of the oath, which came after the law, appoints the Son who has been perfected forever. Christ is sinless, no weaknesses, no faults, and He will never fail. Perfectly saves forever. He's not going to save some of us just halfway. And they go, oh, well, you, you only get this little scratchy robe and a rusty old crown. No. He saves us all the way. Amen. Glorifies us completely. Because He is a great high priest. So you say, well, okay, what am I supposed to do with all this? Where's the application? Well, the application out of this passage is, let's love Jesus Christ better. He is a great God. A great high priest. So we pray that these truths about Christ and His person, His priesthood, will inspire our devotion to Christ. Will grow in our love to Him. That it will invigorate our worship of Him. That we might worship Him more purely and with more, more love. And it will energize our walk with Christ. As we walk with Him, we we'll want to be obedient to Him. And we will want to follow Him. Christ died in the flesh. Was God in the flesh. Died to pay the price for your sins. Rose to life on the third day. Promised eternal life to everyone who will trust only in Him for salvation. Only in Him. Well, we're going to sing a hymn of, of response in just a minute. And if you've never put your trust in Christ, this is the time to do it. Today is the day of salvation, Paul says. Don't wait. We don't know if we have tomorrow, but He's a great God, a great priest. He deserves our worship. He deserves our praise. So often we look to salvation and say, what do I get out of it? Well, you're going to get an awful lot. You're going to get blessed. Uh, you're going to get sanctified and glorified, justified. But you get to worship Christ. Amen. He is the one we're created to worship and bring glory to. So we'll have an invitation for our praise team. We'll come up here in just a minute. We'll uh, have a prayer. And we'll ask them to lead us in another hymn.
And I'll be in front here if you want to come. And This is the time to make your profession of faith. Let us know about a profession of faith you've already made. Time to say, I want to unite with this church. Or time to make a commitment to follow Christ. The altar will be open for prayer as well. So let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word today. Lord, you are a great high priest. And Lord, I pray that this message, that this passage will inspire our devotion to you. That Lord, it will cause us to worship you with greater energy, greater purity. And Lord, that it will energize our walk with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.